Blog Talk Radio. Have you ever worked as a sales associate in a retail store? Or how about this? Have you ever stood in a long line at the post office or the DMV? How did standing on your feet for a long time make you feel? Maybe not so good. That said, because sitting is viewed as the new smoking and it's gotten a lot of attention, there is now a movement afoot for people to switch from seated desks to standing. In fact, if you bring up the danger of sitting, someone might actually say to you, well, that doesn't apply to me because I stand at work. But things are never simple when it comes to work-related ailments, so maybe it won't surprise you to learn that standing could actually be more dangerous to your health than sitting. Here to enlighten us about why this is so is Dr. Turner Osler, a trauma surgeon from Burlington, Vermont. Dr. Osler has spent most of his career dealing with gunshot wounds, burns, and other traumas, and now he's trained his attention on a different kind of trauma, the cumulative disease of sitting, and now we're going to talk about standing. Hello, and welcome to RSI Help Radio. I'm Deborah Quilter, and RSI Help Radio is dedicated to bringing you the best news and information about repetitive strain injury and other technology-related health issues. Here to help us understand what we should know about standing is Dr. Osler himself, and if you have a question for Dr. Osler, you can call us at 516-453-9471. Again, that's 516-453-9471, and it's on the show page if you're at your computer. So, welcome back to the show, Dr. Osler. Well, Deborah, thank you very much for having me back. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pleased and delighted to, to be with you again, if only in cyberspace. Yes, well, and we had this wonderful conversation last time about the uh, dangers of sitting, and we talked about your core 360 chair, and I understand that that chair is on display at Times Square in New York City for a week or so, so if anybody out there wants to go sit on a very revolutionary chair, get yourself to Times Square and have a, have a seat um, so well, and, 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 don't, and don't ignore the, the exhibits there. The, uh, the NYC design thing on Times Square is, uh, has got terrific exhibits, and our chair is just part of it. But uh, go have a look. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real trip. Oh, well, I'll tell everybody to go. So <laughs> last time you were here, um, we were talking in the studio, and I was really fascinated to learn that standing could actually be more dangerous than sitting. So can you run down why this is so and talk about what happens? Right. Um, no, it, it actually comes as a surprise to a lot of people because, you know, we've, we, we pretty clearly understand now that sitting kind of slumped in front of your PC all day is a catastrophe for posture and for your biochemistry. And it's logical to think that if sitting is bad, then standing must be good because standing is the opposite of sitting, Right. Well, it turns out standing actually isn't the opposite of sitting. You know, standing is maybe the linguistic opposite of sitting, but the actual opposite of sitting is moving. Standing is just like being locked into a, a different position, but still people are locked into the position. What came as a real surprise, though, was that being locked into the standing position, you know, kind of with your legs locked as you're at your standing desk, is actually more more dangerous for your cardiovascular health than sitting in a in a regulation office chair. Um, this is surprising work that came out in the American Journal of Epidemiology um, from January of 2018, <clears throat> but it's a very solid piece of research. 
they followed um, 7,300 people for 10 years, half of them at standing desks and half of them at sitting desks. And those at standing desks had twice the rate of uh, heart attacks. And it doesn't, oh, wow. it, doesn't take oh, but, wow. it doesn't take but one heart attack to ruin your whole day. Um, well, yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then so, some. Wow. So, um, the, and, you know, I, I, I read and write surgical papers for a living. And so, you know, you can kind of tell when you read the discussion section of this paper by Smith et al. that they were gobsmacked because this is not what they expected to find. And as best they can figure, the business of standing, when you're walking, your muscles are constantly moving in your legs, and so they're massaging blood back toward your heart because you have valves in your large veins that make sure the blood only goes in one direction, back toward your heart. But when mm-hmm. people are standing, the, the veins uh, aren't being massaged by the muscles because people are standing still and the muscles aren't moving. So the blood pools in the large veins and becomes subclinically hypercoagulable and, and sets people up for, for <clears throat> having um, you know, any rough spots in their coronary arteries turn into a blood clot, which you know, cuts off the blood supply to the myocard, the muscle of the heart, and, and uh, that's, that's what a heart attack is. So um, it's, um, it's, a huge, it's a huge issue that hadn't been really anticipated, um, you know, People know that standing for long periods of time makes them uncomfortable, but I don't think it was really appreciated that it was actually dangerous. You know, I'm surprised that this hasn't been brought to light before because, as I understand it, factory workers can be standing all day. You know, people, right. no, well, uh, I mean, so, not just so, factory, surgeons stand all day, right? Well, there are, there are I mean, a lot of occupations are... that, in, that involve a lot of standing, and especially in the last century when people were standing on assembly lines for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, as a general surgeon, I, I stripped out miles of saphenous vein from uh, people who'd spent their lives standing with their blood kind of stretching the veins in their legs until the veins become so dilated that the valves are become as we say incompetent they don't they don't work anymore because the they're stretched to the point where they the valves can't actually close and when when veins get to that point then there's really no salvaging them and so we just surgically remove them in a in an operation that's sort of i don't know bloody and lengthy so um and and the whole business of you know having to do uh, vascular surgery to pull varicose veins out it sort of died down but with the resurgence of standing desks i have a feeling this operation is going to come back as well and it's not an operation anybody wants is is um saphenous or varicose veins uh, uh is that related to standing or do they just happen is it genetic or do people oh, no it's it's related to standing it? because it's related to standing because um, if you're walking, your your muscles mm-hmm. are constantly massaging the muscles, uh, the the blood back toward the heart, <clears throat> so the veins are able to keep their normal diameter. But if you're standing still, the blood pools and and it stretches the veins gradually. Veins have a little bit uh-huh. of muscle in the in the wall, but not much. And if so, if you're standing still and the blood column is gradually dilating the vein, the vein just gets bigger and bigger. And at some point, its diameter becomes so great that the valves that um, uh, keep the blood from sliding backwards no longer t- the valve leaflets no longer touch each other. So the the, huh. the you know the the column of blood just stretches then continues to stretch the the vein, and it really doesn't have any way to defend itself. 
And and you know this because if you've been standing for a while, you you kind of want to walk. You know, you, your your body is telling yeah. you that uh, you're, you've kind of drifted outside of the the safe uh, parameter zone, and and you really need to be walking to get things back to normal. So, um, you know, it's 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 excellent advice for anybody who's uh, you know in an office to you know walk to the copier as often as they can. Um, you know, yes. or, or or whatever excuse you can think of to get up and walk around. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, prohibition against, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that, but I think, you know, just getting people up out of their chairs and stretching or marching in place might call attention to yourself in a way that you don't want to in a formal office setting, but it really is important in terms of just what you said, you know, keeping the blood flowing back to the heart and, you know, also to the brain. Um, but you know, I was thinking right. about we, this. We, and... we evolved to be, you know, constantly in motion, and as soon as we mm-hmm. turn that off, uh, we're, we're we're kind of uh, no longer under warranty. It's a, it's not a it's not a place that we should be spending a lot of time, and you know, sitting still um, and 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 standing still are both. Uh, well, they're really stress postures. You know, they're they're not uh, they're not comfortable and they're not safe. Yeah, they are stress postures. Absolutely. I, I was thinking about this. You know, it's almost as though you can take the body and starting with the sole of the feet, work your way up. Because I was reading at the um, Canadian Center for Occupational Health and Safety, some of the problems with standing include sore feet. So, you know, you think of people with collapsed arches and then varicose veins, general fatigue, low back pain, stiffness in the neck and shoulders. So it kind of it kind of just does bad things to every single joint and bone in the body when you think about standing still. It kind of snowballs from the feet up, I guess you could say. Yeah, and, you know, when you add that to, I don't know if, if this is still common, although, you know, some of my clients still do this, high heels are part of the dress code. Oh no! Corporate, yeah. Really? Oh yeah. my! Um, oh my gracious! So my grandmother <clears throat> was a you know was a Southern belle and wore high heels every day of her life, and when mm-hmm. she became elderly and had to come live with my family, uh, as a kid I was astonished to discover that she had high heels under her bed, and it turned out that. Um, her heel cords, her Achilles tendon, had become mm-hmm. so shortened that she couldn't put her heel on the ground anymore. And so to mm-hmm. go to the bathroom to pee at night, she had to put on high heel shoes, which, um, oh my gosh. you know, even as a kid, I could see that was bizarre. And, and later, it, it dawned on me that this was really modern foot binding. You know, we're, we're quite comfortable condemning the classical Chinese for, for uh, intentionally debilitating women by binding their feet. But high heels are just kind of a an updated version of it. But it's even more insidious because uh, somehow um, we've gotten women to buy into their own uh, their own uh, um, mutilation. Uh, sounds like a strong word, but I don't think it's too strong. Yeah, it's it's um, you know the feet are so important. I'm I'm a real believer in walking around barefooted um you know i dance so dancers typically are very comfortable barefoot and they also tend to have very strong feet because they're constantly working their feet and i remember when i was studying anatomy 
my teacher said, and this is an exact quote, she said, shoes are little coffins. And <laughs> Where your feet so go to die. Because, <laughs> exactly, because you can't really move your feet. If you look at a baby and the way a, you know, an infant is able to individually move their fingers and toes, it's astonishing. And, you know, I don't think there's one adult in maybe a million that can say, hey, I'm going to lift my fourth toe individually or, you know, grab something with my toe. Um, you know, I mean, it's nice to be able to pick up a Kleenex or something off the floor using your foot rather than having to bend over. I mean, it's just kind of a nice, cool trick. But I think people, because of all this footwear um, and wearing shoes all the time, it's it's just not a, a great thing. Oh well, I, I, I'd go beyond. I, you know, I, it's you know possibly a catastrophe because, um, again, as a surgeon, you see the the final end result of these things as they as they go terribly wrong. One of the things that happens when people put their feet in these tiny coffins for you know decades is that your feet um, can't get traction on the on on the surface that you're walking on because the inside of your shoes. Oh slippery and you're wearing a sock and it's slippery and so there's just no way to get traction it turns out that um, uh, you know humans uh, uniquely among animals have sweat glands on their feet on the bottoms of their feet so they're able to uh-huh. and, and when you're stressed when you when you when the lion comes into the into the into the jungle or or when you're being chased by a jackal the bottoms of your feet sweat which gives you, uh, uh-huh. you know, a little bit more traction if you're barefoot um, and and so your your feet are designed to use that traction to you know increase performance and get your genes into the next generation rather than into the belly of the jackal that's chasing you but but um if you put your feet into shoes where you can get no traction no matter what you do your feet don't stop trying and so your toes are curled under as they're trying to get traction and can't yeah. and this continuous flexion of the toes results in uh, shortening of the of the flexors of the toes and lengthening of the extensors until finally people can't extend their toes anymore, so their toes become wow. chronically uh, bent in a hook, and and this is called yeah. a hammer toe, and as that hook uh-huh. gets tighter and tighter, uh, the upper knuckles are rubbing at, at the back of the shoe, at the inside of the shoe, until finally many people wear through the skin and now you've got you know tendon and bone exposed. And then we go to the OR and we just like lop off your toe uh, because oh. you really can't fix a joint that's that disturbed and out of balance. So a lot of a lot of surgery gets done trying to trying to you know get people a, a foot that will allow them at least to walk and we hope be pain free. But the whole issue began by putting your foot in a coffin and waiting for it to die. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing that really strikes me is um, elderly people sometimes do not lift their toes and they trip on an uneven sidewalk because when you look at a normal gait, the first thing that happens is you lift the toe and then you take a step. But if you right, if but you've elderly lost people, the ability, because, they, because their flexors have overpowered their extensors, can no longer lift their toes. They, it's just not yeah. in the design envelope anymore. So then there's and, a and fall so, waiting you know, to happen. You, it's a fall waiting to happen, and but it begins with you know innocuously enough with putting feet in shoes for you know 
you know, 30 or 40 or 60 decades. And then the foot becomes yeah. so debilitated that um, your gait is so disturbed that now you fall and break your hip and, you know, possibly you die in, in a hospital with a broken hip. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons. In the modern world, they won't let you walk around without shoes. Just try mm-hmm. and get in a restaurant if you're barefoot. Yeah. But you can have yeah. shoes that are Lost. less debilitating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's another thing I think anybody who's standing ought to really think about their footwear. But you know what you said earlier about the sweat glands on the bottom of the foot? I was fascinated. You know, my specialty is the hand. And it turns out the the fingers, that fingerprint, the whorls in the uh-huh. hand, also are there to give you traction. Oh, and, and that's why you have that's why you have that's why you have fingerprints on your toes to give you traction. Yeah, you know, exactly. It, it doesn't exactly. just it doesn't just increase your grip on a beer mug. You know, it increases your grip on a on a tree branch when you're you know trying to get away from the leopards. So, yeah, uh, and you know, wow. I mean, strong feet. The strong feet. Uh, I think, you know, that it can propel a jump or a leap. You know, really pushing uh-huh. off, and those. Um, I. I really believe in exercising the feet. I think it's just so important. And I think if you're going to stand at your desk, uh, best have, you know, good shoes. Um, and this is another thing I wanted to ask you about, Dr. Dr. Osler. I wanted to ask you about how long um, during the day, and one study found that standing for two hours during the day may lead to physical discomfort all over the body and make it harder to stay focused and energized. And then someone else said, um, did a study on five hours of standing, and that contributed to significant and prolonged lower limb muscle fatigue and cramps and back aches. So I'm thinking, what do you think of the idea of alternating, you know, sitting in your nice, active sitting chair, the core 360, and then standing up and marching in place and, you know, moving. No, I, I don't, moving I don't think from, you can change, I don't think you can change it up too often, you know, I, I, and I think having yeah. a variety of solutions uh, available, you know, um, in, in a cubicle or an office is, is a terrific idea. Um, I was lucky enough to have an office for most of my professional life, and, you know, I had a chair, and and I also had a piece of carpet that I would just lie down on and stretch when when, uh, when opportunity mm-hmm. presented itself. The, the idea that you have to stand all day, it, it, it's, it's just not true. You know, you can lie down if you can find a place and nobody watching. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, I used and to teach course, people how to lie down at work um, and all this stuff that, that you can do with an office chair, you know, these stretches. You're not sitting in the chair. You're actually using the chair as a piece of exercise equipment. <laughs> Um, exactly. And exactly. It, but you have to have a private office, which has sort of gone the way of the dinosaur. Nobody seems to have private offices anymore. But it really is so much more helpful to be able to have the freedom of movement and choice, and you know, always moving. And I keep my phone on the opposite side of the room so that if I get a phone call, I have to get up out of my chair. And I don't get mad <laughs> somebody calls me. I mean, I'm thinking, thank you, I'm out of my chair. You know, so I, I've deliberately set up my own office so that I have to move frequently. 
And right. I now, do, every, you everybody, know, you know, who has a, you know, has little, uh, I don't know, uh, quirks that they can design into their day. I, I like to, I like to walk when I'm on the phone. It, it, uh, I don't know. It helps me, yes. um, helps me organize my thoughts. I think, and, uh, and it helps me get in a few more steps. Yes. It turns yes. out that I'm, I'm it turns out that humans. It turns out that humans, uniquely among primates, you know, have are. Um, require exercise. Bonobos and chimps and orangutans and gorilla. All those, all those primates are fine. They just sit around all day. They just, they're good with it. But because humans are hunter-gatherers, we, you know, three million mm-hmm. years ago started getting in our 10,000 steps. And now, if we don't get our 10,000 steps a day, our, you know, all of our biochemistry goes haywire. So one of the, uh, you know, one of the huge uh, public health issues in the United States today is that, uh, you know, we have this uh, sedentary epi- epidemic, which has resulted in, a, in, you know, heart disease, diabetes, and, and uh, obesity. And this, this triad has, you know, made people's lives miserable and driven up health costs. And, um, and, it, and it really can be traced to uh, the success of, uh, you know, people being able to stay inactive all day. And it's, it's not easy to push back against that um, um, other than to try and design activity into one's life. Yes, and I, I mean that's getting back to what I was thinking before about the peer pressure for everyone to be, you know, don't call attention to yourself. Um, I mean, I knew a woman, one of the women I interviewed for my book told me that she would play solitaire on her computer to take a mental break because uh-huh. if she was doing that, it looked like she was working, but she was getting her mind off. But, yeah, but, I mean, it it would have been so much better if she had been able to get up and walk around the block. Well, so just, much better you know, for her and so much better for her productivity. Exactly, yeah. No, it's it's, yeah, it's interesting, exactly. though. There, there, are different, there are different traditions and different uh, – in different cultures, in Japan, in the United States, I think if you're if you're caught with your head down on your desk asleep, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a it, it's likely to show up on your fitness report. But in Japan, mm-hmm. it's considered a mark of an excellent worker who comes so early and stays so late that he finally collapses and sleeps on his desk. So um, you know, there are different cultural interpretations of of people's behavior, and if we could get from you know why isn't he at his desk working? To oh, he's out walking to clear his thoughts and get even more brilliant ideas for the company. You know, I think I think we'd all be better off. Yeah, I mean, it was. I read a study in Psychology Today about happiness at work. I mean, you can look up and there's different magazines. You know, what are the happiest jobs? What are the unhappiest jobs? And Psychology Today said the letter carriers for the postal service are happy. You know, they're out walking. When they're done, they're done. They have a completion rate. They can take satisfaction in, yes, I delivered all those letters. They make friends <laughs> along the way. They're out in the sun. Oh, and they have an walking. immense they have an immense sphere of friends and acquaintances. And um, and sociologists know that the more friends and acquaintances you have, the the bigger your social network, the longer you live. And when you think about it, the postal the postal guy probably meets more people and the same people over and over again. So he has really quite a web of actual friends as opposed to Facebook friends. Yes. 
Yeah, but I mean, if you were going to design a, a job or jobs, what do you think it would look like? Um, and, you know, like from the animal perspective, animals, sometimes they get up and run around very actively, but then they take a nap. And exactly. so I'm just wondering what a good human work pace and what would it look like for a human? Well, you know, uh, anthropologists have asked this question for a long time, and, you know, they've been out in the field studying, you know, the Bamabuti and the Ajibwa and the Klunk people, and, and you know, they follow them around with a stopwatch. And it turns out that, uh, you know, aboriginal peoples generally work two or three hours a day tops. You know, that's, that's the time they spend, you know, gathering or hunting. And the rest of the time they're, you know, walking around or telling stories to their kids or taking a nap. Um, the business of standing all day would never occur to, one of, uh, to a, a natural person. They, they, they would think that that was just crazy. Same for sitting. Um, such, such people, of course, don't know or have chairs and, and don't miss them one whit. They, they squat quite comfortably, a, 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 a function that most of us have lost because of our dependence on Western chairs. And it's so good for you. Right. You know, it no, it's, uh, the spine and strengthens the quads. I mean, if you look at a toddler going from a squat to standing, that's a tremendous coup to really, I mean, most adults <laughs> could not do that to save their lives. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so that's, refreshing it's to watch toddlers. Two, they, to, two to three. Yeah, go ahead. Well, this is kind of ricocheting off in the other direction. Um, it's so refreshing to watch toddlers and their posture, you know, because they mm-hmm. they naturally are quite comfortable, you know, sitting flat on the floor, something that most adults can't do anymore. Again, because we've we've been constrained by chairs for so long, we've lost those degrees of flexibility, um, and it's not easy to get them back. No, it isn't, and you know, it's um, it's. It's just a shame. I think it's really fascinating that the Aboriginal people work two to three hours a day. And then, you know, this idea of telling stories, that's a really important, you know, oral history, you know, passing on traditions and wisdom from the elders to the younger people, having a social, a strong social network and connection with the people in the community. That sounds really helpful to me. And, and in the, the modern world, and especially in the United States, we've come to, um, you know, basically worship work. But, but mm-hmm. think on it. You know, when, when we went from being hunter-gatherers to being farmers, we, the, the number of hours worked per day went way up because farming just turns out to take a lot of work. But then mm-hmm. the modern era came along, and we have robots to do most of the heavy lifting. So... It was anticipated in the 50s and 60s that, you know, by the year 2000, we'd, be, we'd have a four-hour work week. And it just hasn't mm-hmm. happened, you know, because, well, I don't know why. Um, you know, the robots are doing the work. So why is it that we have to you know, stand all day at a standing desk or sit all day at a sitting desk at work? Why, why is it that so many hours are still required when the robots are doing the work for us? It's, you know, it's a good question. It's really well, it's kind of a sociologic question, but uh, but it's it's one that uh, that vexes sociologists because as the robots do more and more, the the question is, you know, will there be any jobs left for people to do? You know, I think there will be. I think that people very often have some sort of passion of something they want to achieve in their life, 
and you know that those people see it as a joy uh, to achieve their goal, whatever it is. But I think if they can do it in a way that's not going to harm their health, um, you know, I think that if you leave people alone and not require them to either sit or stand or be boxed in a cubicle somehow, they would find a way to do some sort of work without, you know, causing so much um, harm to their health. But no, the I, and, I, and I think that's 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 part of the brilliance of the of the design of the human body is that, I mean, when you think about it, the human body is possibly the most complicated thing in the universe. I mean, and I and I, and I say that I don't mean it as hyperbole. I think it's it's actually true. It's 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 an immensely complicated piece of machinery, um, and yet it comes without an owner's manual. So you, so you think mm-hmm. how is it that how is it that people can pilot something as complicated as a human body without so much as a um, owner's manual or a YouTube video about how to do it? And the answer is well, th- there's this onboard diagnostic system called pain, and. Yeah. So it's, it brilliantly tells you when you shouldn't be doing something. Don't do that, uh, and it lets you know you shouldn't be doing that particular thing because it hurts. And even more mm-hmm. brilliantly, if you have, say, a broken leg, it hurts, and it continues to hurt until it's healed, at which point um, you know, the onboard diagnostic system of pain says your leg is now fine for walking, and you go back to mm-hmm. walking on it. So, uh, you know, so merely having a system as elegant as pain really um, allows people to uh, stay out of trouble, but only if they can respond to the pain that they're feeling. If you require people to sit all day, whether it hurts or not, or stand all day, whether it hurts or not, now they're in serious trouble because they can't take advantage of their onboard warning system that they should stop doing something because it hurts. Um, so um, there's a lot to be said, I think, for, for letting people organize their own lives in a way that uh, keeps them pain-free. Well, I think that's an excellent way to end this episode. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your brilliant ideas with us, Dr. Osler. Um, well, thanks for having me. if you want me. more information, oh, it's such a pleasure. I hope you come back. We'll think of something <laughs> you can talk about next time more. Um, but if, if you're interested about Dr. Osler's work, you can visit QOR360.com. That's Q as in quilter. OR360.com. <laughs> and thank you so much again for coming on to the show, sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us, Dr. Osler. And thank everybody for listening to RSI Help Radio. Remember to follow the show so that you will be notified of new episodes by clicking on the little red box or sign up for my newsletter at RSIHelp.com. You can also submit questions or suggestions for further episodes on the show page. So until next time, this is Deborah Quilter signing off from RSI Help Radio in New York City. Bye.